0: Hey, if you are new with us today and you haven't been a part of this Elephant in the Room series, uh, what we are desiring to do is to pull the spiritual curtain back and look at things like the war for our sexuality two weeks ago. Look at things like last Sunday we talked about the war for our nation's leadership, God and government. And you can go to YouTube and find all those messages. But uh, we really want to talk about hard subjects and bring truth and bring a biblical worldview to our discussion and our conversation today. And today is, is something that each and every one of us face. And we've called today the war of why. The war of why. And this toxic, poisonous question that's why does a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? And it's a, been a plague in Christian and uh, in the Christian circles. People have uh, uh, found themselves not coming to church, not loving God, and living for themselves and for the world because of this one question: Why? Why was there sexual abuse? Why was there divorce? Why was there brokenness? Why was there uh, death? sickness, disease? Why am I not healed yet? And it's a very profound question, but I think we have to address it because uh, if we don't address it, we're not building a very, very important pillar to our foundation and to what God wants to build on top of our lives as the church of Jesus Christ. And so today we've got the honor of having a panel, and it's going to be an incredible time hearing from a a couple people in our church that have walked through very traumatic, very, uh, very painful uh, situations. And so I would love to invite, and uh, if you would put your hands together and invite. we're going to invite Pastor Rick, Pastor Brittany Davis, and Mary Bangs to the platform. Can we please give it up for these incredible, incredible, and so we all know Pastor Brittany Davis B.D., Bulldog, anointed woman of God, and the amazing Mary Bangs. Can we give it up one more time for Brittany and Mary? Yeah. Joining the conversation, very vulnerable, very open, very honest, and it's real. And uh, but this doesn't, this isn't just something that's happened up here with uh, uh, these two incredible women. This is something that's happened with you, and you've had to navigate, you've had to walk through, and I'm sure you've wrestled uh, with that question: Why? Why did that happen, God? And so we want to talk about this, and uh, we're going to open up with testimonies and then dive into the conversation of how we uh, truly navigate this and what does the Word of God say. So Mary, we'd love you to start and share your testimony.
1: All right, so um, I was raised in a really good home and kind of had a Pollyanna life and got married. We had three kids in three years and um, the last one was born in November of 1985 and by July of 1986, I found myself in a coma, near death, in intensive care, at McKee Medical Center. Um, I had been sick and no doctor could tell me why, could tell Steve why, and they had told Steve, this was a Saturday night, they had told Steve, um, she's not going to make it, we don't know what's wrong with her, she won't live through the night. Uh, Miraculously, I did live through the night, um, and that morning, our church started praying, we were on staff at a church, and... um, Of course, I didn't know any of this until later, and miraculously, the doctor on call was 60-some years old, and he remembered something from medical school. He said, could this woman possibly have this? He called an endocrinologist. They looked at all of my charts, and um, he said, yeah, this endocrinologist, I think she has something called Addison's disease, and um, it's pretty rare. And they started giving me the right medication, and within hours, I woke up. I was tied to a bed. I had no idea why I was there, how I got there. You know, I weighed 80 some pounds. It, wow. I, I really was, my organs had started shutting down. Um, and I was told that I would be on medication for the rest of my life. Um, it was not curable, it was treatable. And even the medication doesn't do what our bodies should do. But that's what the medical world says. Um, and then, so so that that still is there, okay? And then in 2004, suddenly, uh, my dad died of a massive heart attack. Uh, he was our everything. He was the second most important man in my life next to my husband. He was our spiritual father. Um, I'm an only daughter, it, and it was shocking and horrible. He, he had a heart attack in a fishing boat with two grandkids with him. Um, I found out years later that I never really grieved because I spent that time taking care of my mom and helping her navigate this tremendous loss. Eight years later, my older brother, he was only 52 at the time, died the exact same way, but he was sitting in his living room watching a Cubs game, and with his daughter sitting next to him. Massive heart attack, gone instantly. He left behind a thriving church. He was the senior pastor of an Assembly of God church, six kids. It was devastating, and that's when I realized I I never grieved my dad properly because this was so overwhelming, I had to get help. Like, I, I had a sozo for those of you that know what it is, a guided prayer session for some, just some healing, just to move on. Um, during these years, up until 2016, my husband heard three more times, she's not gonna make it. They put the last, one of the last times in 2007, they pulled our youngest daughter out of school and brought her to the hospital because they said she needed to say goodbye. All of every one of those times, I did make it, obviously, I'm sitting here, but that first time when I was diagnosed with Addison's, the promise the Lord gave me was, you will live and not die, and you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So every time those doctors tried to tell my husband, or even me, whether I was in or out of consciousness, I stood on, I will live and not die, and I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And then on July 2nd of 2019, we received a phone call that no one ever dreams that they're going to see. Our oldest son and his family lived in Romania and he called us on FaceTime and told us that our nine-year-old grandson had drowned in the family pool. We were FaceTiming and could see his body and her my daughter-in-law's family and us prayed life over him, but he did not live. And I cannot tell you, you know, if you're a grandparent in this room, or a parent of a nine-year-old, eight-year-old, around that age, you know they're full of life. They're so fun. And all of a sudden, they're not here. And it is a grief that is beyond explanation. But without Jesus, you can't navigate it in any form or any way. And there's been other things that have happened you know, since then that are tough, and we'll get to those later, but um, that's, that's kind of some of the stuff that we have lived through, both my husband and I, and still say, God is good, yeah. and we will see his goodness in the land of the living. Well,
2: my story starts um, in 2015 and my husband and I had just been hired as the senior pastors at a church in Jacksonville, Florida. And so we packed up our, um, our family of four and, um, and drove down to Florida and set up, set up our life and what we thought was going to be kind of our forever. Um, however, eight weeks later, um, we were at home and, and my husband came to me and said he had a terrible headache Felt like he had really bad heartburn um, and needed some medication. So I got up quickly and ran to Walgreens to get him some medicine. But by the time I got out of the store, he had called and said, I can't feel my legs. Something's really wrong. Um, So I call an ambulance, I'm rushing home. The ambulance beats me there um, and gets him to the hospital. And um, and that starts a, a nine month journey that I could have never thought at 30 years old with two little kids that we would be on. Um, They ran tests at the hospital and found out that he had what was called a spontaneous epidural hematoma, which means he just spontaneously bled out in his spine. Um, And when that happened, it caused a blood clot within his spinal cord, that damaged um, his his spinal cord and and paralyzed him from the waist down. Um, He spent 40 days in the hospital and um, and during that time, his body just kind of, um, I don't know, quit on him. It crashed. He uh, suffered a stroke as well. He had a fever for weeks. Um, and there was no reason and no diagnosis that the doctors could find. They couldn't even find why his spine spontaneously bled. Um, they reached out to other doctors, specialists. They were calling people across the country trying to figure out have you seen this? Do you know what's going on? And nobody had any answers for us. Um, So he was released into inpatient rehab for another 27 days to learn how to function um, in life as a a paralyzed man, and for me to learn how to be a full-time caretaker of um of my husband. So he came home out of rehab after about twenty seven days. Um and we went back to life while he was in the hospital. I was kind of taking care of and running the church by myself and he just jumped right back um into things and did his best to carry the church and to preach and do all the things. Um, but he was a shell of the man that he was before he got sick. Um and I think just the effects that the illness, as you could call it, took on his body, the effect of the emotion that took on his body, um, he just slowly began to slip into um, a hard place of depression um, and checked out more and more and more from me and the kids. And and it got to a place where um, we would get home from church and I would put him back in his bed. Um, And he'd put a blanket over his head and just kind of check out, not talk to me, not talk to the kids. Um, And so it was March of 2016 where I wrote him a goodbye letter. Um, I knew that something had massively shifted in our lives and it wasn't going to go back to the way it was. And I needed to release him to the Lord. Um, and I think in the heart of hearts I knew, I was, I was saying goodbye to him because he wasn't going to be here much longer. Um, and it was just a couple months later where we got his final diagnosis that he had developed a severe infection in his body. Um, and that infection had gotten into his bones and he had an option of amputating his legs up to his hips, um, but the infection was so high in the bones that it wouldn't have gotten rid of it completely or he could come home on hospice care. And that's what he chose. And, uh, and so in May, we brought him home and, um, and had incredible time of, of healing, of saying goodbye, of worship. Um, we'd have someone come over to our house and just worship with us. And, um, and it was a very, very special time to say goodbye to him. Um, but on June 7th, 2016, he went to be with the Lord. Um, and I began to navigate with what life looked like at 30 years old as a widow and a mom of two little kids who were four and six. Um, And nobody tells you when you get married and you have life ahead of you that it might not be turning old together in a rocking chair like everybody says, um, but it might be heartache. And it might be walking walking through life as a widow. And the last message my husband preached before he got sick was about the promises of God. And as I sat on the front row that day listening to him preach, God asked me a question that I didn't know was going to be a question that carried through for the next nine months of my life. Um, and he said, Are you holding on to my promises? Or are you holding on to your own? Mm. And I had to continually ask myself that as I had to let go of the things that I thought life was promising me, of the things that I thought life was promising my kids. I had to let them go and I had to grab onto the promises of God and that was the only thing that kept me going every day is knowing that he had promised me something more than the hurt and the pain and the grief that I was sitting in.
3: Wow. Yeah. Um, You know, oftentimes, you know, we sit and we hear these stories, but you know, we, and we hear them on the other end and, but there's this in between, right? From when, you know, these things happen until now and so let's talk about navigating this loss, right? And, um, you know, specifically in the area of, you know, um, Mary, getting a call for your, for, your son, or for, your, um, for your grandson, you know, you, the decision, I'm, I'm going to do hospice knowing that he's going to leave. Uh, you know, let's talk about those areas and moments of going, hey, hold on, I have this mess that I'm left with. Right. And we go through things and we have this mess and we have to navigate this mess. There's got to be a navigation process that goes through. And uh, was there ever a time when you guys shook your fist at God and said, God, why? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? You know, we're good people and those type of things. And if there was, you know, talk about how to navigate that. Like, how did you navigate through, you know, the mess from then until now? And, you know, what's different? What's changed? Is the grief still there? Are you still struggling, wrestling, those type of things?
1: I think one of the, the biggest things that helped, you know, this just happened three, four years ago, so we were a little bit older, but having a solid foundation in the Word of God and knowing the character of God, that He's always good, I mean, that's, that's like vital. You, you have to have a relationship with the Lord and, and know His Word and know that He's a good Father and all good things come from above and that it's the enemy comes who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we would have life. That is, that's essential. But I'd also say, you know, if you're married and you experience grief, grieve together. Don't separate. Don't pull away. Really, really lean into each other and help each other. And if you're not married, find somebody, a, a fellow Christian who maybe knows the word even better than you that can help you. Um, there was, you know, now that you say it, um, after after Sebi died, you know, grief is all-consuming, and it never really goes away. It will change, and how you deal with it changes. But those first few months, you're, you're in a fog, and I, I got in a car accident, I, you know, I crashed a car, and then was so out of it, continued to drive it, and ruined the car more. Um, and several different things happened, but two months after he died, I was out right, cycling early morning on a country road, and out of nowhere came two dogs from a farm, and they attacked me, and they latched onto this leg, both dogs and wouldn't let go, and I'm trying to get off my bike and I'm bleeding, and and I literally lifted one of the dogs over the bike and shook it off. Long story short, I had 36 puncture wounds, three large gashes, but the worst part was the dogs had not been vaccinated against rabies. So I had to go in for a series of three shots over three months and had never been sicker. I was in some of the best shape of my life. I couldn't compete anymore. I was so ill from those rabies shots, or I don't know what it was, whatever, the rabies vaccine that I had to get. And I remember going, God, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't, what, hap, what happened? What did we do? What, how do I handle this? Like it was just being coming on top of losing our grandson and the other losses. It was just like, what happened? And Jesus said to me, where was I? and he showed me exactly where he was, and he showed me how he had people there to help, and I had to remember that, he, that I would live and not die, and he would show me his goodness in the land of the living, and Steve and I have been blessed abundantly by his goodness, we refuse to get stuck in the why I don't get it, and yet praise him. David says over and over again, all of these times in the Psalms, he will say all this bad junk that happens to him, he lists it all out, and then he says, and yet, I will praise him. Yeah, good. I will come into the sanctuary and praise him. I never see David ask why. And so, for, for me, it, um, you do get angry, and you do wonder, and you do question, but you've got to come back to the goodness of God. Yeah. You've got to come back, and you've got to stay in fellowship. You can't isolate yourself. And there's a few things in the natural um, that helped with the grieving, um, but... You know, I told him last service, just I bought a lot of really thick socks and blankets and candles and would just sit wrapped up and read the word. And sometimes, like Brittany said before, sometimes it's just one scripture. Sometimes it's one thing. That's all you can read, that's all you can get through. But God will meet you where you're at. He will find you. That song where you knew where to find me, you picked up all the pieces and put me back together. That's what He's in the job of doing. Amen amen
2: well i did not crash my car but i did run a red light and um i got a speeding ticket in a school zone after picking my son up from school so um it does it takes over your body it takes over your mind um and it can consume your soul if you let it um it was actually the second day uh it was the day after um abishai my my late husband got um was admitted to the hospital and i was driving back to the hospital that day um and it was the presence of God just filled my car and i had this moment with the lord that i think was such a sovereign moment that allowed my heart to be posture in the right way because he knew i was going to fight a long battle of grief and a long battle that could be angry and bitter um but God just ministered to my heart and i declared out loud in my car that day lord i will not be angry with you i will not shake my fist at you i will not blame you i'm gonna walk with you in this and i don't know what that looks like um, but i'm gonna do it and so even in the moments where i would feel my heart slipping to that anger i would say out loud to myself i will not be angry i will not be bitter i will not shake my fist at you and i would say it over and over and over to remind myself that god was still good um i would go to this verse a lot in isaiah um it's isaiah 43 1 through 2 it says but now um, O jacob listen to the lord who created you O israel the one who formed you says do not be afraid for i have ransomed you i have called you by name you are mine when you go through deep waters i will be with you when you go through rivers of difficulty you will not drown when you walk through the fire of oppression You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you." And I had to remind myself every day that regardless of if I felt like I was drowning, like I felt like I was consumed, like I felt like the flames were burning me alive, that God promises that they would not. And I had to stand on his promises versus how I felt. And what that looked like tangibly for me every day was just saying yes to something. Um, Sometimes that was just getting out of bed and saying yes to that. Um, I used to say that I made like best friends with my ceiling fan because I would lay in bed and look at it and just like consult it with what I was going through. Like, how did this happen? What is even going on in my life? How is this me? Um, And so I had to sometimes like leave the ceiling fan behind and just get out of bed. And some days my guess was um, making something fun for the kids in the kitchen or sometimes my yes was going to the grocery store but every day my yes carried me farther than the day before and I had to remind myself that those were those moments of not being consumed Mm -hmm. That that wasn't me just fighting through that that was actually the promise and the goodness of God not consuming me not drowning me not pushing me under but pushing me forward and I had to make a choice to look at things different to say that even if the biggest victory I had today was getting dressed that that is the goodness of God today yeah. and I'm not gonna look at it like I was defeated by the other 23 hours of the day that I didn't get dressed but the one hour I did is the victory of God um, and I had to stand on that and declare that for months and months and months
3: yeah and it just reminds me of uh, you know Psalm 23 right when David said "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death you know like he's walking through the valley and you may be walking through a valley right now It may be a shadow of death. It may be one of the hardest things that you've ever come up to face. But I think just like you said, I think it's important for us to anchor into the truth of of who God is and that he is good and not waver from that. Right? No matter how bad the situation is, no matter how hard it might be, no matter how much pain and turmoil that you might be facing right now, you have to anchor into God's goodness. It's the only way you're going to get through. It's the only way that that he's going to bring you through that valley of the shadow of death. And I love what David said. He says, for you are with me." And both of you guys said that in your testimonies, like, He is with you. He's with you in that process. And so, yeah, Pastor Aaron.
0: And I love talking about the, uh, the goodness of God, because this brings up a really, really good uh, point in the sense of how to navigate this, the poison of why. And it could be death, or it could be navigating situations like Beck and I went through, in the sense that we've shared this story before, but um, before we had our son, Jai, in 2004, we navigated four miscarriages. Uh, Becky has ultimately had nine miscarriages. And those four miscarriages before Jai, uh, then all of a sudden we bring our son into the world, we're excited, he's a beautiful, beautiful uh, young boy. And three weeks, into, um, you know, three weeks into having him, we're at a uh, wedding reception and Becky starts to feed him vanilla custard and he starts to vomit. He, he breaks out in hives, he goes limps, and then we run, rush, rush him to the ER. And no parent wants to see their little uh, three week old baby uh, limp on a hospital bed, not knowing what the heck is going on. And so, uh, I didn't realize this, but uh, with uh, uh allergies comes a severe asthma and severe eczema and our boy had it all. You know, Mm. so if he went to a playground and there was a wrong perfume that went down the slide, he'd bust out in hives and, uh, you know, like he'd he'd be so bad with eczema that he'd wake up in the morning and his sheets would be bloody. Mm. And it was just this, this constant tension for the first five years. What is going on? And I look back and talking about the character of God, I look back and it was because of the miscarriages of my son that I stopped believing in the power of God for 10 years. Wow. I allowed a crack in my theology. I allowed a situation to rise above the standard and the power of the word of God. And so that's why it's so important to every single one of you right now where you are, you have a, 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 a working belief system, a theology of concepts of who God is, whether it's from the word of God mm-hmm. or whether how life and life situations and circumstances have dictated your theology. And your theology is exactly how you will respond to life situations, whether we talk about sexuality, whether we talk about the government, whether we talk about navigating loss. It is so important that you understand that, let's talk about the the sense of our theology. Like the fact that, is God sovereign? When we talk about God's sovereignty in this, I mean, did you guys navigate that? How did you guys feel when you you went through some of this? Did, Did his sovereignty come into play? Yeah? (laughs)
2: um i think i mean i think when you walk through something like this in the moment you don't always see it but when you look back um you see it at work the entire time and i think that's why we struggle so much in the moment to see the character of god in pain because we can't see his hand at work in the same way um and we tend to look at god through the lens of our circumstance that it in in essence, alters our image of God because of what we're going through. It would be like me having a terrible day at work and coming home and saying that it was my husband's fault that because my circumstances had changed, then now who he is to me is different. But God is God regardless of what's going on in my life, what's going on in this world, what's going on in our circumstances. Um, And so when we allow ourselves to separate a bit from our situation, we can see the hand of God at play always because he's a good God, because he loves us, because he's a good father. Um, And so I think stepping away um, a bit from my situation, I began to see um, how good God took care of me how god um rescued me in moments and that looked like people at times um, they jokingly call me bulldog because i um you know i'm i'm a hardcore person i am a black and white um and and i kind of have that that persona um, but if you would have met me seven eight years ago um it would look like me surrounded by brick walls um, because of because of my experiences in life, because of my upbringing. Um, and so I went through a situation where I needed help. I was on an island, I was isolated. I had never lived in this place before. Um, the church was new to me, and I didn't let people help me. Um, but there was people that pushed their way in. Um, and there was one woman in particular, her name was um, Cindy Barney, and she was one of Abishai's wound care nurses. And her husband was a pastor in Jacksonville as well. And, Um, And she pushed her way into my life. And she would just show up on my doorstep and bring me food and ring my doorbell or text me and say, there's something on your doorstep. I know you don't want to talk, but it's there. Um, She would show up in my Abishai's hospital room when I was there. Um, She even, the day that I had to sign Abishai's DNR, um, which was really challenging, um, standing at a nurse's station by myself Um, Again, it felt like the world was just going at hyperspeed around me and I'm standing there getting ready to sign his life away. And I signed and felt like I was gonna fall apart but I knew I had to keep it together because I was by myself and I turned and she was running towards me. Um, she had heard I was there and signing a DNR and she came from a different floor to hold me in one of the hardest moments. And I just fell apart in her arms. Um, and that was God's sovereignty. That was like the, the arms of God extended in that moment. And in that moment I was like, Oh, thank God I'm not embarrassed and crying by myself here. But stepping away, it was God rescued me in that moment. He was soft and sovereign and good. And he allowed me to have a moment in the arms of Jesus. Um,
1: But you don't always see it in that moment. Hindsight is helpful. (laughs) But, you know, also in his sovereignty, he's he's given given us his word. And one of the things that helped me, it was in everything, give thanks. I don't believe God brings those things to teach us something, but He will help us through them. So we f- be thankful within that situation, and we can know in Romans it says He causes all things to work for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. So you can continually lean into Him. Um, one of one of my kind of a wake up moment, and after I was diagnosed with Addison's disease, you know we and this may show our age, but we were Rhema students. And, you know, it's all about faith and believing for your healing and standing on the word and, and this and that. And so here I was, you know, two years out of, out of Rhema and have this disease It's not curable. And I did everything I could. I mean, I went to every prayer meeting. I raised my hand at everything. I quoted every scripture. I had them taped all over the house. And, you know, after a couple of years, I was exhausted. Mm. And I, the Lord was like, what are you doing? Why aren't you just resting in me? But the biggest thing was, it was like, it hit me that I was letting the devil win twice. Because it was destroying my life, like fighting for this healing, wow. which we are promised. And I will, I wanna be healed in this life. Pastor Rick had a word a couple weeks ago for autoimmune diseases. You better believe I stood up and raised my hand. And I'm gonna to continue to do that and continue to thank him that I am healed by his stripes I'm healed. But I know if I don't see it on this earth, I will see it in eternity. Yeah. It is going to happen. That's not the question. But don't let the enemy steal your joy in life that he's promised you while you're sick. I mean, this is not an easy disease to navigate. I have to take medication every day, but it's also why I like spit in the devil's face and say, no way, Jose, I'm gonna run marathons. I'm gonna do triathlons. I am going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and you are not gonna win. Because there is no reason.
0: so good not today devil
1: that's right not today devil there's no reason in our grief or in our confusion or in our not knowing why that we can't live victoriously my dad always taught me from the time i was very little are you going to get bitter are you going to get better
3: that's good
1: we have a choice and that's that's what makes the difference you've got to choose jesus
3: yeah, I think uh, it's important for us to understand, you know, because we are, we do live in a tension between the sovereignty and God and free will of man, right? It's a tension that we live in and we struggle with that tension sometime. But uh, you said this earlier, uh, Pastor Brittany, you said, um, uh, let me find it here, that our circumstances are no reflection of God's goodness. You know, that, that God is still good no matter what. And we have, to, we have to rest in the sovereignty of God that he has our best interests at heart. You know, that I don't know how this is going to turn out for my good, but it's going to. You know, I don't know how you're going to use this, but you will. And see, God uses everything. He never wastes anything. And I think it's also important to understand before you you move on that, you know, these sufferings are inherently evil. Uh, that God is not the agent of sufferings. And we see that in the book of Job, right, with, with, with Satan and how he's the agent of that suffering. We've got to understand that because every good and perfect gift is from above, right? He gives us good things, not bad things. So, and so knowing where they come from, I think, is very important for us because it's going to help us not to blame God when something like that happens. Um, and, and, again, we have to rest in that sovereignty of the unknown Some time going, I just I don't understand it. I don't think we're meant to understand a lot of these things. Uh, but yet go for the goodness of God. Right? Yeah,
0: and we have to, there's the, the, our theology has to be built. When we look upon Jesus, we have to build our theology upon who he is and what he has said to us. Because the, the sense of his sovereignty, we gotta understand God's in control, uh, he's, con- he's in charge, right? But he's not in control because of the free will of man. Yeah. And the, there's a word called omni-causal. He's not the cause of everything that happens in this earth. And if we don't understand, if we look at this, this statement, why does a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people, if you understood the Bible, when with our sin nature, uh, with our fallen sin nature, the Bible says in Luke eighteen nineteen, to the very sense of the word, there is no good people; only the Lord is good. Yeah. So in our, in our sinfulness, in our wretchedness, in that, without Jesus doing what he did in the blood of Jesus, really, we've got to come to the fact that, man, we are not good, and uh, the sin is in this world, this world was broken, Even in, and we, we want to blame, right? It's like uh, when God approached Adam, what happened? Adam instantly points the finger and it says, it's the woman, it's the woman's fault. So every single one of us uh, wants to blame, and, we want to point the finger, but uh, you know, why God, why is this happening? I'm pointing to you. Uh, you said to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why am I not getting healed? You know, throughout the years, how many, especially the last eight years, how many deathbeds that I've been at, that I prayed for and nothing happened, that I could sit there and wrestle with that why and just point the finger and blame God. But you guys got to resolve the blame is not from God. It's from the devil. Yeah blame is from the devil. He is the one that shames and condemns and blames. God is a good and faithful God. And we have to establish that in our belief system, in our biblical worldview, as we face things, knowing, you know what, there's going to be heartache. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. It's just part of uh, how we navigate this thing. Um, is there anything else you guys want to add in the regard to not falling into the trap of why?
1: Well, just know that even when these things happen, because it can be a divorce, it can be broken relationships, it, it can be, I mean, pain and grief happen in many situations, and it's relative to you. But one of the things that really helped me and I, is the scripture out of Romans. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That doesn't mean you rejoice for it. You know, I was in a horrible car accident in 2016 and someone said, aren't you so glad that that this happened so you could get, I was like, "Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I broke my neck and my leg and, you know, I was like, no. But you can rejoice in the suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because another translation says, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We serve a God of hope. So no matter what you're going through, don't lose hope. It's the anchor of your soul. Don't lose hope.
2: Yeah, and I would just say um, something that we've talked about is that grief is really love lived on after death um in the picture that i always get in my head is like a fire hose hooked up to a hydrant and that hydrant is is what dies it goes away which means that hose is just filled with all the emotion all the love all the the connection that it used to have and it's just spraying everywhere it has no connection point anymore and so and when we're searching for the answer it's because we're It's like waving that hose all over the world, trying to find a place to plug in the intensity of the love you had for the the person you lost to something else. And so we try to plug it into blame and we try to plug it into finding the answer and we try to plug it into anger and it doesn't fit in any of those places, which is why we never find peace there. And God is just saying, just plug it into me. I'm meant to hold it, I'm meant to take it. I'm okay if you give me the anger, if you give me the doubt, if you give me the worry, but give it to me and plug it into me and let all the hurt, all the all the love, all the emotion that used to be plugged into that person, mm-hmm. plug it into me and let me heal it, let me restore it, and let me make it right, and he will. And that's a promise that he's given us. He says that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he loves you, that he wants to restore all that was lost, and it might not look the same, But it's going to be good because he's a good god
3: yeah and i think if you're if you're struggling or wrestling with the question of why right maybe you're going through something and you're still asking that question maybe you haven't been healed yet loss of a loved one you know whatever that is Um, i think the greater question should be what now because we can get lost in the whys and you know those are uncertain we may never know why but we need to start asking the question what now what now what do i do now what do i do in a year what do i do what do i what do i do with this and i think if we can start to ask the question of what now we can start to get a picture and develop a blueprint for how to move forward and how to move on and just like they said grief never ends it just matures maybe right it gets different it gets easier you know uh you you know you're fine one day and then all of a sudden you get struck with it you know and and, and you're in the slums um but you know he, he he's he's with you and he never leaves you he'll never forsake you and so it's like god what now what do you want me to do now? What can I do now? What can I do to get over this? How are you going to use this in my life? And, you know, if we can answer that question, I think we're going to be better off for it.
0: Absolutely. And you guys got to understand is that Jesus would never tell us to do anything that he never went through himself. Amen. And it, he took the most horrific path of Calvary and with nails in his hands and feet and the, the torture and the abuse and the neglect and the isolation, all of that, I couldn't imagine. But you got to understand, he said... For the joy that was set before me, I will endure the cross. So there is the, the enhancing of hope that he put in that. And hope in the Bible defined as the joyful anticipation of something good. Something good is gonna come of this because I'm running into the arms of a loving Father. That's good. That's good. I'm not running to the world or drugs or alcohol just trying to numb and bandaid, but I'm running to Jesus. I'm running to his word and building the cemented foundation. They're letting the roots of my palm tree go deep so that when trauma and pain and affliction and, and questions come that are not answerable, you can't, you can't sit there and blame and point the finger, but we say, God, you are so, so good, That's good. despite. See, there's a story in 1871, Mr. and Mrs. Spafford They had a beautiful family in 1871 of four children three girls, and and their youngest was a boy. And uh, in 1871, their son ended up getting pneumonia and dying. A Christian family. And in the same month, uh, in the great uh, fires of Chicago, their business burned down. And things. No, went on 1873 to just uh, just under two years later uh, they wanted to take a vacation vacation and go to Wales so the father puts the wife and the three girls onto a ship um, to, to go to Wales and hey I'm gonna meet you in uh, six seven days you guys go I'll, I'll, I'll be right behind you um, and so they get on the ship four days into this journey the ship ends up hitting another ship and literally 30 minutes and this thing is sinking so the wife gathers the three kids and, and goes onto the top deck and starts, they get on their knees together and they pray, God, deliver us, save us, deliver us and save us. 28 minutes goes by and the sink, the ship sinks to the, uh, th- th- down to the ground. Um, a little rowboat rode over the, the place where the ship went down and they found a woman, Mrs. Spafford, uh, holding on to some, some something and she was the only survivor of 226 people on the ship. She gets on another uh, cargo ship and makes her way to Wales. She sends word to her husband and uh, says, Hey, I'm the only survivor. Come, I'm grieving. We've lost our three daughters. He gets on the ship. As, as they're four days in, the captain calls him up to the, the deck and says, This is exactly the same spot that your three daughters went under with the other members of the, of the ship. And he could have easily wrestled with the why. He could have easily went back to his room and, and, and just got angry with God and and just pointed the finger. But what did he do? He penned the lyrics to a defining song that would forever define this moment in their lives. Because this is what can be true. Your sufferings can define you, or you can see the sufferings of Jesus and let that define you. The team is gonna sing this song over you in these last few minutes that we have together. So I want you guys to close your eyes and just let these lyrics, let this, let this song, let the, let the anointing of this song just pour over you and let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now wherever you're at and whatever you're grieving, whatever you're mourning, whatever you, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's divorce, whether you're, you're, you've never had your dad in your life or whether it's death and loss or just that wrestling with that question, why? Let the Holy Spirit bring peace and let him, the comforter, comfort you in this moment.
4: Like a river, attended my way when. Sun-
0: Is, is, is too beautiful to walk in more intimate way with you. Is just it's just too beautiful. So Father, help us as a body, Lord, personally and, and for those that we disciple, help us learn to navigate loss and to not get trapped in the in this trap of the question why, but what now. We praise you, God, for you are a good and faithful, loving, merciful God, and just like David. surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life in Jesus mighty name and everybody said can we give God a shout of praise in this place before we conclude online and in this room we want to ask you this question and give you an invitation my friend do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior have you come to a moment in your life a collision intersection where you've said hey Jesus I'm a sinner I've been living for myself I've been running from you I know I need to surrender my life to you I know I need to give everything that I am to you maybe years ago you gave your heart to Christ at a youth camp but you've been living for yourself and now you want to come to this moment and recommit. maybe this is your first time you've never heard about Jesus and that he died on the cross for your sin and shame. That He, that three days later he rose again, he didn't just stay dead in a grave, he rose again, defeating death, defeating sin. My friends, we're sinners in need of a savior and Jesus died on the cross to restore a relationship, not with religion, not with church tradition, tradition but with Jesus Christ, with our heavenly Father. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And the Bible simply, it's a beautiful free gift that you, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, not just confess, but confess, but repent, that, that sense of sorrow, that I'm sorry, God, I want to give my life to you. from the front to the back, left to the right, I want to make sure everybody in this room has had the opportunity to come to a point of receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord. Online in this room, I want you to make a bold decision on the count of three and just wave your hands, say yes, that's me, would you pray with me today? It's a beautiful feeling to be adopted into the family of God. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. On the count of three, if that's you, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Just give me a wave. Say, Yes, Pastor Aaron. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Online, just comment, let us know. We want to make sure everybody in this place has had the opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in this house what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray, God, that as we go away this week, Lord, there'd be such an incredible sense of, wow, I'm gonna build the foundation of my belief upon the fact that, God, you are sovereign, you are good, you are faithful, that no matter what comes my way, I will not be shaken. I will have hope to withstand whatever I face in the coming days in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise.